0: Here now, the words of our Lord is written in the book of Judges, chapter 6, verses 1 1 through 10. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains, and the caves, and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites, And the people of the east would come up against them. They would camp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low. And the people of Israel cried out for the help to the Lord. And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you out from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. These are the words of the Lord. Dear Father, we thank you so much for a place to come and worship you. Where we can stop and take collection of what you have for us in your word. that We can hear your teaching hear your rebuke we can hear your encouragement father we thank you for your graciousness of giving us the holy spirit who works in our hearts we ask that our ears would be open our hearts would be soft pray that as your word is spoken from this this pulpit that it would be mighty and strong that it would change us father that you would mold us to be more like your son by what we hear preached to us father we are your servants bow before you, we love you, and we are thankful for all that you have given us. Help us to hear your words. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: The efficiency and the vibrancy of a church, in my opinion, is not measured by how many campuses we have, how many, uh, mem- how much, how large the membership is, although those are our are, there's nothing inner, inherently wrong with it. But the efficiency and the vibrancy of a church in my book, it's totally my opinion, is her view of her Lord. If we have the highest view of our Lord, then all these other things are secondary or tertiary in my opinion. And... Uh, I can tell you that uh, from th- this morning, as we were sitting and singing through the songs and and the uh, and the way that we worshipped our Lord, uh, that we are we have a very high view of our God, and that's uh, um, that's something that that soothes my soul. This is the reason why some of us uh, travel every Sunday from the o- Oklahoma of Texas to be here, uh, because. We know the Lord is exalted here. We have the highest view of God, and that we praise and worship Him appropriately. Of course, uh, fast taking the taking the beats of Anne can it be uh, one third helps in the the vibrancy part as well. But (laughs) but nonetheless, nonetheless, we we are excited to be here again. I look forward to this opportunity that God has given us to stand up here. Uh, to be his messenger. This is his word, not mine, and th- to be his messenger. And uh, as weak as I am, I ask that you all are in prayer so that so that the Lord would speak to us uh, and that we won't hear human voices or or things that, that I've been praying about thinking and, and, and even the text, uh, the script that I put together, but it will be the Lord's voice that you hear. Christianity Today published an article on June 8th. I still read Christianity Today every once in a while. Uh, June 8th, um, picking up on a Senate hearing where one of the liberal uh, senators who recently tried out his chance at, at presidency um, applied the religious test to one of President Trump's uh, appointees, um, I think it was the assistant director of budget Uh, who happens to be a born-again evangelical man, an alumnus of Wheaton College, and you all know about Wheaton College and what went on last year. Um, The article's main point, though, was the problems caused by a pluralistic America, America that we live in. The author stated like this, as the appointee stated during his hearing, I'm a Christian, I believe in a Christian set of principles based on my faith, Yet these distinctive beliefs, exclusiveness of Christianity and any claim of exclusive salvation are increasingly viewed as offensive and problematic. In America's pluralistic landscape, even Christians are shifting away from that exclusive view of salvation and our Lord. According to LifeWay research survey conducted last year, gathered this information from the same article and a couple of other sources only half of americans agree that eternal salvation only comes through those who trust in christ alone christ alone and faith alone is the uh, is the hallmark of evangelical christians and uh, earlier another earlier research from lifeway found that uh, Protestant pastors, 77% are far more likely than their congregants, which is 48%, to oppose the idea that people can obtain eternal life through other faiths. In other words, 23% of the pastors don't believe that Christ only is the way, and they preach. So um, I've been struggling with this uh, this this for a while i don't want to think that we are in a post christian time in america although many believe so uh, i i tell you the reason why the 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 remnant of people and the church faithful ones who pray and support and mission work that goes because of america and the churches uh is still uh compelling to me to to the point where I kind of refuse to believe that we are in already in a post-Christian America. But if this trend of pastors and congregants thinking that a pluralistic belief is acceptable and normal, then I think uh, America will be in full vogue of uh, the post-Christian scenario before you know it. Our text today is written at a time in Israel's history when... Their spiritual state as a nation, and that's a stretch to call them a nation at this point in history, uh, is much same as our times that we were just uh, thinking about. My goal today is to walk us through the narrative and isolate from it some timeless elements, uh, dreading the possibility of spiritualizing, but to stay within bounds of sound interpretation and take out spiritual principles rather than spiritualizing. It is my prayer that we can continue to hold and teach the highest view of our God to this generation and next. And we are it. There are not a lot of people around uh, like us who are left. It is also my prayer that in these few minutes that God will allow us to have a fresh look at the greatness of our lord and that will help us to continue to worship as we have been in the from the morning that we got here let me put a little context to the to the uh, the portion that we just read judges period is the time between the conquest of the promised land under joshua and after the time of joshua to the first king uh, the human selected first king king saul uh, which was about this 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 time spanned about 350 to 4 410 years and there's several judges and some of them may have overlapped their um, their um, I don't want to call it rule but their uh time of influence we see many significant uh, in uh, individuals we see uh prophetess uh, Deborah in this scenario we see samson we see a lot of lot of great uh, uh heroes uh, so to speak, but all of them were frail and all of them were laden with weakness and issues. They started out strong and many of them finished horribly wrong. And um, so if you read through the entire book, 21 uh, chapters, th- that you come away not looking at these human leaders or the plight and the spiritual status of this this uh, nation, which we weep over as you read it. But you see one personality looming larger than life from the first chapter all the way through the last chapter, and that is the one and only God Almighty. He is the central theme of of uh, Judges. He is the central theme of the whole of scripture but in Judges you can see a just unchanging uh, uh, God who is just in in applying judgment but also gracious in in just overflowing His love and mercy to His people as He gathers them back to Himself. In the Judges narratives we see a pattern that is cyclical Israelites repeatedly fell away from the Lord into sin, followed by servitude or subjugation by foreigners. And then they come to their senses, cry out to the Lord, and the God who remains true to his covenant love, restores them and delivers them. So you see this idea of sin, servitude or subjugation, supplication, and salvation or deliverance that that theme repeated over each of the cycles. So my question is, what happens when covenant people lose their sense of purpose and calling? One thing that comes out through these texts are very, very, very powerful and in your face, and that is God remains true to his nature when it comes to his eternal attributes. He is unfailing in his love. He is unchanging when it comes to justice. He is incomprehensible the way he acts and deals with his people. And he continues to shower mercy and grace to people who desperately do not deserve it, but still continues to offer it for them. He is the grand subject of our talk this morning and what we have been going through. But I want to kind of highlight some of those um, verses that that clearly tells us the attributes, eternal attributes of our God. Especially as we jump right into the eternal attributes of God, it paints us a picture of a God who is way higher than any of our comprehension. And I'm comfortable with that. And I think we all need to be comfortable with that we don't need to know everything about Him. Malachi three six, where He says, "For I, the Lord." Do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Did you notice that? The reason why they continue to exist is because of the immutability of God. I do not change, therefore you are not consumed. Given the chance that if we had a changing or a lesser God, then none of us would be standing up here and none of us will have the hope that carries us through. God continues, God does not withhold His judgment against sin. That's His in nature. He's unchangeable. He's immutable. God continues to lovingly, relentlessly pursue them. Jeremiah 31-3, it says, I have loved Thee with an everlasting love, an unending love. He cannot change that. It is His character. God remains faithful to restore them. His mercy ceases not, Psalm says in Psalm 100, for it is everlasting. His mercy ceases not, for it is everlasting. God intervenes on their behalf. God calls and prepares leaders and God is the reason that they existed and we exist. Amen to that? Looking at this text here, the first verse says that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord gave them into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. The root cause, when Midianites got through with them, as we uh, heard uh, the, the text read, that they, they these people were so impoverished and essentially immo, immo, uh, immobilized to do anything. The root cause of impoverishment as we begin this verse is that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. We see two specific examples of the evil or the sin. Remember the sin, servitude and, and, and supplication and salvation motive here. There's two specific examples of the evil or sin committed by Israelites during this time. Uh, one is partial obedience. We all know partial obedience is disobedience. There's no uh, way to sugarcoat it. If you don't obey completely, then uh, it is disobedience. But partial obedience is one of the of of the reasons and we can get that from um, looking at the covenant principles and also look at uh, Joshua and and the passages leading to this I'm going to read a lot of text here just bear with me Deuteronomy uh, chapter 20 verse 16 through 17 these are highlighting just highlighting the covenant expectations of um, this uh, um, Israelites or the covenant people Deuteronomy 20 16 and 17 In the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded. Coming over to Joshua chapter 23 verses 5 through 13 the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, Or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall, you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out uh, from before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you this day. One man of you puts to fight a thousand. Since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as He promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that God, Lord your God has given you. It is abundantly clear what the covenant expectations were. Uh, There's no mincing of words. And the consequences of breaking those expectations. We see that it didn't take long for not one tribe, but multiple tribes began disobeying these clear-cut instructions. Let's fast forward to Judges 1 and verse 21. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day verse 27 to 33 Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and the villages Tanakh and its villages and the inhabitants of Dor and its villages or the inhabitants of Iblim and its villages or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages for the Canaanites persisted dwelling in that land when Israel grew strong they put Canaanites to forced labor but did not drive them out. I don't know if you recall, there was no provision for keeping them and putting these people to, to forced labor. The, provi- the, 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 the command was, drive them out. And Ephraim did not, verse 29, Ephraim did not drive out Canaanites who lived in Gezar. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out inhabitants. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out inhabitants. Verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out inhabitants. You see the pattern? It is an all-out disobedience of what God clearly expected of them. But although these people, people of God changed, their God remained unchanged. When covenant stipulations are broken, Covenant curses in the form of, form of judgment ensue. God's immutability means that he remains steadfast in his love, mercy and care. But it also means that he remains unchanging in his justice when it comes to con- the consequences of sin in the form of judgment. So partial obedience or disobedience was the number one display or, of evil or sin. Now let's look at the second one, idolatry. Chapter 2 I'm going to read a few verses as well here. Chapter 2 verses 2 to 3. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim. And he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break their break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is... What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sights, and their gods will be a snare to you. It's going downhill. Fast. Verse 11, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and served Baals. And they abandoned and then when I read that, my heart just stopped. And the words extremely powerful. They abandoned the Lord, God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served Ashtoreth. Abandoning is one thing it's replacing him with them that bothered me the most by moving to these other foreign gods they also are in my opinion uh, devising their own self-reliant plan a little bit about these gods uh, baal uh, is the son of asherah asherah is the goddess of fertility and baal is the son of uh, her and According to legends, and um, a god named El—not the El that we know of—and then when Baal was uh, uh, became prominent, and El went out of the picture, he he took his mother as his concubine or or his mistress. That's how low this type of local religion has become. The other one day, bowed down to, Ashtaroth, not Asherah, but Ashtaroth. The other name, its he's the prince of Hades, or prince of hell. And that's another one that they bowed down to. What a departure from a God who delivered them by the power of his hand from the clutch of slavery in Egypt and brought them to this land into a perverted uh, religion into perverted religions and perverted uh, practices of immorality as part of their worship. Verse uh, chapter two, verse sixteen. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to the, their judges, for they hoard after another uh, other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and He saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted them and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died... Watch this. They turned back and became more corrupt than their fathers going after uh, other gods. So the progressive, slippery uh, dash into this dungeon of immorality and unfaithfulness this people uh, has done is just numbing my heart to to see what was happening. And then the Lord says, I will no longer drive out from before, before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did. So the Lord left those nations not driving them out quickly and He did not give them into the hands. So as as I mentioned, the result of this part of sin, idolatry, first was was partial obedience, the second is idolatry the result of these sins was that a tribal group that was rampant with anarchy and evil resulted out of the covenant people of Israel and the the epilogue of the book of Judges sums it well 21, 25, Judges 21-25 in those days there was no king in Israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes the urge to assimilate to the native culture of the promised land, resulted in a society that either has Yahweh as one among the multiple gods, or completely abandoned Him altogether. That's the state of affairs. So that's what was evil that they did in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them over to the hands of uh, of, uh, of Midianites. Then what's the result of this evil? Servitude, sin, leading to servitude or subjugation. Partial obedience and idolatry led them to servitude. The Lord delivered them to the enemies, the Midianites along with the Amalekites and the people of the East. Let's take a quick look at who are Midianites. Uh, Stick with me. Genesis chapter 25 verse 1 where we see that Midian was the son of Abraham born of his concubine keturah and uh he had he he then went on to uh, father five sons ephah Ifa, epher hanok abida and elda and they were supposed to be the progenitors of midianites um genesis 24 1 through 4 and 1 chronicles one thirty two thirty three. 33 that's where we that's what we learn about the midianites midianites were the product of a carnal rendezvous that the patriarch Abraham had with his concubine. That was Abraham's way of taking things into his own hands to have a, a, a generation to, uh, for him to have a, a generation. Instead of waiting on the promise of God, for uh, waiting for Isaac Uh, Abraham took matters into his hands. So here they are the product of Abraham's cardinality. Far be it known that later down the years, that these very people become the ensnaring, entrapping, uh, sucking the blood out of covenant people, as we just heard read. What about the Amalekites? Amalek is the son of Esau's firstborn Eliphaz. Genesis chapter thirty-six and verse twelve, and of the again a, a son of a concubine Timnah, and Amalekites were supposed to be warriors. They were giants, uh, and they were better known for how vicious they are in attacking their enemies, and they had a very vicious nomadic lifestyle. And then the people of the east, this loosely branded extremely nomadic uh, desert people who uh, in the east to the east of river jordan we know that when isaac was born uh, abraham didn't want any of these folks to stick around so they, he drove them all off to the east of jordan to keep them away from isaac and now they're all coming back and going after isaac's descendants So Midian prevailed against Israel, and when the the way they did it is 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 extremely important to notice. Israelites would go, and this was a very fertile. Promised land was a very fertile land. In fact, that was what was when uh, when Joshua sent spies and they came back and said, "We can't believe the size of grapes and all." It was extremely. It was a land flowing with milk and honey, and. Uh, so the, it was a farmland, so to speak, and and so so Israelites um, would come and farm, and they would have they would watch their crop grow, and then right when it's about to be harvested, you got Midianites and Amalekites and the people of the east just descending upon this land and plundering every single bit of uh, sustenance that was uh, uh, um, that that Israel worked on leaving them nothing leaving them nothing at all and um, this happened not just one time it says that god gave them over to the midianites seven years it's seven times happening, or if you cultivate it twice a year, the latter year and the former, latter rains and the former rains, you all know some of that, if they cultivate it two times, then it's even worse. So all these stuff that tells us is that these folks, these enemies, they were not doing any military type of actions, they went after the very thing that kept these people alive, and that was the sustenance, their, 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 their food. So what did, what did the Israelites do? The response to this oppression. They retreat to, uh, uh, the mountains. And the hand of the Midian overpowered Israel. This is verse 2 of chapter 6. And because of Midian, people of Israel, made for themselves. Here we go again, self reliance. Made for themselves, the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. What they missed in that self reliant, self preservation uh, retreat was that the long that they did not think about the long term effect of living in dens without any sustenance. Any attempt at a human solution to sin problem is like the covering of fig leaves that Adam and and Eve did and they are at best fleeting or temporal. The covenant people of the one who, one who is almighty and one who is the creator of the universe had here a one-way ticket to death as they sat sequestered in The caves and strongholds that they made for themselves and at the end of that process they were impoverished is the King James translation and the original verb used uh, says that they were brought very low the impoverished the the translation impoverishment is an uh, interpretive alternative in my opinion the idea of that original word brought low is like a fruit tree when the branch is heavy with fruit, kind of uh, comes down and, 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 and hits the ground that 's the idea in other words, they are no this is a spatial displacement. they were up here, but they 're now down here, extremely vulnerable to attack, extremely vulnerable to be destroyed. They were brought very low and I went over how they got there they didn't have anything to eat they kept on uh, farming but they didn't have anything to eat so the plan of the enemy was destroy the sustenance and destroy the land and they couldn't care less they are nomadic people they will go when when they're done with this they go to the next uh, group of people and that's what was happening Sin leading to servitude, which in this case could potentially wipe out the entire collection of the tribes of Israel. Almost a genocide. Now they had nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. Trapped, waiting for the last breath in these strongholds. But they had one last hope. And that last hope was to go down on their knees and to cry out. Which they did. The eternal, unchanging, mighty Yahweh who will listen to the cries of His people. And the people cried out to the Lord, which is the response to the judgment, and which is the supplication part, sin, servitude, and supplication. So when they cried out, The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel and he said to them, Thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt. This is a quick overview of what he has done. I led you up from Egypt, brought you out of the house of slavery and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians. And from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell." But you have not obeyed my voice. They cried out to the Lord. And the Lord was near, standing right next to them. Asherah and Baal did not help. In fact, it looked like they were actually favoring the enemies in this scenario. Which they were. Is Yahweh the last drop, last stop when all fails? Is that how we should handle scenarios? That's what they did. As it had been the pattern in these cycles of disobedience and apathy, they do come back to Yahweh as the last resort. And each time the ever faithful, unchanging Yahweh makes them there. He cannot leave them. He is covenantly committed to these people. And he cannot be against his own attributes, eternal attributes. He remains unchanging. He continues to be unchanging. And he is relentlessly pursuing them. And when they are ready to meet with him, he is right there. And each time the ever faithful, unchanging Yahweh meets them there, delivers them, His justice never alters, His grace never fades, His love never fails. This is what we see here as well. This is what why we can count on Him as well. John nine says it, sums it up really well. Watch this. If we confess our sins, watch this. He is faithful and just loving but judging. He can't change. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Go ahead, go as far as you want until your heart's content. But when you make, meet, when you are at the wit's end, when you are at the end and your back is up against the wall, The only way you, only place you can go is to go down on your knees. And when you begin that process and your knees hit the ground, guess what? God is waiting there with open arms to tug you back in. That is the unfailing love of our God. Someone has said the closest that you can get to the throne of God is on your knees. Um, I've heard of a story of a of a of a missionary uh, who went to a mission board to uh, get ready to go to a mission field, and um, the mission board uh, asked a strange question: uh, "Why don't you lift your pants up uh, and stand before us, pants up above the knees?" And he did. It was strange. He did, and um, they said, "No, not this year." Mm-mm. So he came back the next year and it went on and on forever. And uh, the last time when he came, they could see calloused knees. And they said, now you're ready to go. Now you're ready to go. Especially in mission field, and I've been in there. If you are not on your knees standing next to the open arms of our Lord, the enemy will Just attack you relentlessly. Relentlessly. Now, when they cried out. When they cried out. The Lord's response was what? Took them back to his word. I want you to understand who I am. That's where you have went wrong. I want you to understand, I am the same God, who brought you from out of the slavery of Egypt. I'm the same God, who parted the Red Sea. I am the same God, who drove out the Amorites. I am the same God, who gave you food to eat from falling from the skies. I am the same God, I don't change, and I want you to trust in me. That's what he wanted. And to do that, unlike the other prophetic uh, judge cycles, where when they call out a judge, is dispatched immediately. Here, he sends out a prophet. And what's the prophet's job? To preach and to bring them back to the word. Guess what? They were lacking. They were impoverished both physically and spiritually. If we are impoverished spiritually, we need to eat the word of God. That is our sustenance. He brings us back to understand Him. Where He has explained Himself and and, and through the process of the progress of Revelation. As you see Him him looming large and large. And as you come to the the end end of the scenario. You see Jesus Christ as the fully revealed, the uh, self-revealed person of the Trinity. Right there. When I think of pluralism and apathy that, that kills us and our, our young people, takes them away from from churches, a lot of that is this doubt and disillusionment and and not getting the full answers. I have this question and the Bible is not clearly giving the answer. And the pastor said, uh, just trust in the Lord. That wasn't enough. In other words, the pastor was saying that God is incomprehensible. I don't know about you, I am comfortable dear ones, I'm very comfortable to the extent of my comprehensibility of God limited by the extent of his self revelation. I don't want to know anything more than what he has revealed. It's when I begin to do that, doubt and disillusionment sets in and I walk away from him. has provided everything about him to the extent that we need to know. And one day soon, very soon, He'll peel open our eyes in eternity where we will begin to see a lot more of Him. And I am of the opinion that even there you may not see and understand and fully comprehend everything about this incomprehensible God. Because if you do come to a point where you know everything about Him, you are as equal as Him and there is no need to worship Him. But we know in heaven we worship Him. So there is a level to which we will know, but we will continue to worship Him there. Some spiritual lessons and I'll close. Number one, sin comes with consequences, but our Lord is gracious, faithful, and steadfast in His loyal love. Maybe you think your sin is so inconsequential, it's not the major league sins. Uh, But at any time you want, you can overcome it. Boy, you have it wrong. My immediate choice is when no one is watching. Oh, I, I, I can just flip it over. Just, yeah, turn off the computer. I read a news article just recently. A state senator in Rhode Island was giving some justification for certain, to support of certain bills and he printed out um, a web page and uh, gave it to uh, for the distribution of the entire house. The only problem was when you do a print screen, all the open tabs of what where you were also is alive. It was all porn sites. Oh, I can just flip the switch off and everything is done. No! Midianites were so weak, they were just coming and taking the food. They didn't have any arms. And, and the fights before was, the, you know, there were uh, one group that came up with the iron uh, chariots and all those. They didn't have any of that stuff. They came with their camels. They came with, oh, Israelites, so, oh, we can handle them. No. That's not the case. It will rob us of your spiritual sustenance and fellowship leading to Atrophy and decay. Midianites were descendants of Abraham's selfish and carnal desires. They were nomadic and poorly organized by judges' time. On face value, they did not appear to be a credible threat. But the devastation caused by this weak enemy was almost genocidal. Spiritually speaking, unconfessed sins, sins that easily beset us, can rob us of our spiritual health and bring us low. Where we are vulnerable and we are impoverished. No matter what our self-reliant efforts of dealing with the enemies, like the Israelites did, by building strongholds and in, in, in the mountain and caves in the mountains, human efforts will prove to be ineffective every single time against the devastating effects of sin on us. The most effective way to deal with our impoverishment is by falling on our feet, and you will find no surprise that He will, sta- he, our Lord, standing there. He will implore us to get back to His Word, which will surely show a God who is greater than all our sins and failure, who remains unchanging and unfaithful to forgive us of our sins and restore us. His solution is to take us back, to think on His attributes, to see Him as the highest, in the highest form as possible. His faithfulness, His past dealings with us, to remind us of our our, our repeated failures, so that we no longer rely on ourselves, but we cling to Him. And here is what I want to show you. how God has dealt with the covenant people of old is a pretty good indicator of how he will deal with the New Covenant people. I know the operating principle of the dispensations have changed and the progress of Revelation, all, given all of that, it's not killing people and things of that nature. But, in the gist of it, what he has done for the people of uh, Old Covenant is what he will do for us, especially in his unchangeable, immutable, eternal attributes as we bow down our heads to pray sorry for going over a little bit Um, I don't know where you are at as I was studying God brought to me so many areas that I needed improvement and where I thought I am I have the spiritual savvy to take care of it and as we pray if the Lord brings it to your heart um, just confess where you have gone wrong call out and you'll be surprised he will Just embrace you with his tenderness and loving kindness. Heads bowed. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you that it is the place where we find you. It is the place where we find ourselves so far where we are right and where we are wrong. It is the place where we need to be for our sustenance. Lord, you are wonderful. You are great. You are amazing. You know where we, are go- where we have gone wrong. Thank you for the church like this, Lord. We thank you for the, the leaders and the individuals. We pray, Father, that we can remain true to you. That we can remain teaching this view of God that's higher than anything else. And that, that we don't repeat, that we learn from history, that we don't repeat the failures of the old. We do come at our camp that's coming up and the men and women who are leading it and the 60-some kids that are going to be attending it. We pray, Father, that you would touch the hearts of some of those kids. pray that you would enable our leaders talk to them. Or we pray that you would revive us as you have done in the case of some of us in, the, in this church recently. We thank you and praise you. For you are an unchanging God. You are the rock of Gibraltar. You, you You are the unchanging one. We can come to you. We thank you so much for this time. In Christ's name we pray.